Thank you for that music, Ricardo and Haisa. <coughs> I was just uh, mentioning to some of the people how, how big Haisa has been getting. It's been about, almost seems like a year as we've been stuck in this uh, coronavirus and some of the young people are getting bigger. But uh, anyway, why don't we have a word of prayer? We'll get into our message for today. Father in heaven, we want to pause one more time and ask for your presence to continue and to guide as we go through our, our message today. You alone are able to somehow get into every little corner, every little area of our mind and encourage people that are down, people that feel hopeless, you can give them hope, people that are depressed, you can lift them up, not on some spiritual sugar or some fake high, but you can help us in real tangible ways that no one and nothing else can do. And we ask that you do that once again today, simply because you're generous and you're loving and you care about us, and we need you. And so we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The <coughs> sermon today is called Facing God and Our Brokenness. We're continuing our series on abuse. Today our scripture reading is found in Luke chapter 7, verse 23. If you'd like to turn with me there in your Bible or smartphone or tablet. Luke chapter 7, verse 23. Jesus said, Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. How would you feel about God if your spouse beat you on a regular basis? How would you feel about God if your parents beat you on a regular basis? Or how would you feel as a child or a parent, if you're spending lots of money <laughs> sending your kids to a special Christian school or to some group like Pathfinders and they were abused, how would you feel about God? If some of these things happened to you, would you be offended by how God responds? It's something people don't like to talk about in churches very often. But in this world of a very, very broken place, and there's no 100% way to escape the brokenness if you're alive on this planet, I know people that have to answer these questions who live with this as a reality. And the question that I want to continue to echo through the entire sermon today is, are you offended by the choices God makes? As church people, which we are, most of us, which is why we're watching or listening live or through our device, the typical answer for church people is, well, of course not. We're church people. God is good all the time. And we even have a little silly cliche that some churches do. God is good all the time and those kind of things. But... In the real world, when we leave our fancy churches and we go to our house, we go to work, we go to school, and, 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 and tough, bad things happen to people who don't deserve it for lots of reasons. 
And God lets people have choices. And things don't always go our way. Are we offended by God, how God is running this world? A few years ago, it was many years ago now, a journalist and several journalists in Boston, they were working for the Boston Globe. It's a very prominent newspaper here in America. They stumbled upon something very serious there in the Boston area. <coughs> they uh, ended up writing a book about it. It's called Betrayal, a Crisis in the Catholic Church. They won a Pulitzer Prize for their willingness to be a voice to the abused kids. Hollywood ended up turning it into a movie. And they discovered there was, oh, about 90 priests that sexually abused thousands of kids in the Boston area. Thousands of kids. The church didn't help them. They didn't spend any time, money, or effort helping these kids or families. So a secular, non-spiritual entity like a newspaper stepped in to shine light and to help these kids and these families because the church wasn't. The church was doing the opposite. The Catholic church was actually going to great lengths and spending money trying to bury the stories and trying to help the priests and move them to other areas instead of dealing with the real issue. And uh, they weren't helping the kids. The leaders covered it up. They weren't helping. And today there's still around 2,000 cases in that city that are still waiting to go to court because there's still more kids that have been hurt, that have never been helped, never been listened to, that their stories have been attempted to be buried. My motive today isn't to embarrass the Catholic Church. My motive is to just give you a story on how bad things can happen even with church people. To show you a little glimpse behind the curtain when these things happen, then what? When these things happen to people that hope for better, expect for better, pray for better, and deserve better, then what? How is your faith today? Are you offended by God? Are you offended by how God runs this world? <clears throat> if you were one of those people who were abused in one of those situations, would you be offended by how God responds? I'm reminded about one of the reporters that he gave a statement. He said, basically, this is a crisis of faith. It's a crisis of faith. And he wondered how people would respond. To such a terrible thing. In Luke chapter 7, in a very similar but in some ways different, the principles are similar but some of the little details are different. Jesus says in Luke 7, 23, Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Jesus felt the need to make this statement because he knows how easy it is for people to make decisions based on their five senses. We make decisions based on our five senses, but the reality is our five senses are very, very limited. Even if we're amazing Americans and amazing Europeans and we're educated and we're, we go to church and 
<coughs> if we think we have lots of answers, we're, sometimes people are tempted to think they're the smartest per- person in the room. And even if you're a modern, uh, illuminated, amazing woman, or if you're some really wise individual, we never have all the facts on this earth. I don't know the percentage, 10, 20, 30, 40, maybe 50, 60 percent of the facts. We don't have all the facts. There's still lots of stuff that baffles our mind. How can God do what He does and be in all places and do all things? How can He manage trillions of ants at the same time? How can He tell the waves of the ocean where to go? How can He influence, like Jennifer was sharing a little kid story today, which was wonderful and amazing, how can God speak to the conscience of a little seven-year-old girl in such a loving, tender, appropriate way to bring in some discipline, but help and grow and show that God cares and, what, and to get rid of those heavy burdens of guilt and to just help us so we're happy. But he's doing the same thing with a Russian boy and a, a little Indian girl and, and, a, and a couple that just got married in Indonesia. How can God do that with 7.8 billion people? Some are dying, some are being born, some are getting married, some are getting divorced, some are having the best day of their life right now, and some just heard the worst news of their entire life. He manages millions of angels. There's a third of the evil angels who think he's very offensive. All of this complicatedness happening at the same time. We don't have all the facts. But it's tempting to think that we do. When we don't have all the facts, we still have to make a decision. Then what? I'm under the thinking that if we had all the facts, our opinion would be very different many times. Imagine these facts. There's a couple... And they prayed for years to have a baby, and finally God gave them a baby. They prayed that this child would be special, just like we hope all of our children are always special to God and useful to the community. And God answered that prayer. This child grew up in the church, which was really happy for this couple. And, and this person was, was just so blessed and, by God. This person grew up to be the, the entire nation, the church's leading prophet and teacher. I mean, man, atheists were coming to this person. The enemies were coming to this person. Enemies being Romans in their context. This person was so amazing, God had it planned out for centuries ahead of time that when Jesus was going to be baptized, Jesus was going to pick this person. John the Baptist was so highly thought of by God, he was going to baptize Jesus. Wow. When, when the church was dark, when hardly anybody had faith and hardly anybody believed in God, they were confused. They were the remnant, but they were confused. They were so confused, God Himself was in their church. God Himself was walking through the crowds. God Himself was at their weddings. God Himself was there in the flesh. 
They could see him. They could touch him. They could hug him. They were so confused, the remnant church. They didn't even know God was there in the flesh. But here was John the Baptist who knew there's the man. God told me, and I'm so connected to God, God told me this would be the one, and there he is. That's the Messiah. Everybody who's come here to the river to get baptized in the Jordan River, you should start following that person right there. That is the Messiah. That's the Lamb of God. He's the one. John was bold. He had faith. He followed God. He trusted God. He had courage in a time when almost nobody had courage to stand up for God in a normal, balanced way about what's right and wrong. And he told the the known leader of their nation, Herod, you, you don't need to be doing that with your own brother's sister. What are you thinking? And he got a one-way ticket to jail. To jail. I'm quite sure John the Baptist didn't see that coming. Based on John's limited facts, Based on John's limited facts, I'm convinced he probably thought, well, this is strange. This is a little backwards. I'm one of the few people listening, following, obeying, and proclaiming, and I'm put in jail? But he didn't have all the facts, though I'm sure he thought he did. Luke 7, verse 16 to 18, fear gripped the entire group. They began glorifying God, saying, what a great prophet has risen among us. God has surely visited his people. This report concerning Jesus went out all over the area, all over Judea and the surrounding district. And so the disciples of John reported to him about all these amazing things. (coughs) Have you ever felt... Have you ever felt like Jesus was looking at different pieces of the puzzle than you were? I have. I have. A few of you are honest. Thank you, Stephen. I have. That certainly doesn't mean I was right. But I felt it. How can you miss what's happening, God? Everything is, you know, this, 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 and this. I, I clearly should be getting this, this, this outcome. I mean... What, what's going on? This is where John was at. This is where his disciples were at. They felt like God was looking at, different, <coughs> at a different blueprint. John was begging. His disciples were begging for help. And when Jesus got the news that John was in jail, he intentionally went the other way. He intentionally went the other way. He said, I'm over here. I need help. I mean, remember what you promised my parents and me? And it's like, I'm over here and you're going that way. What? How, how can this be? I'm asking for help. We can turn to Bible verses not so far from this context in this chapter where the Bible says, <clears throat> asking you shall receive. And I keep asking over and 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 over my disciples are asking. I mean, it's not that difficult. And what does Jesus do? He goes to another area. And in their perception, their perception, he's helping the enemy. 
He's helping, in their context, a Roman soldier. They thought the Romans were the worst thing ever. This Roman soldier, he was a leader over a, a group of 100 soldiers. So they, it was the, the name they called him was the Centurion. <laughs> he was a leader over 100 soldiers. This Centurion, he one time, one time, once, it probably wasn't even a prayer. He probably just said the words, which is the same thing, but in church people, we think it's very different. One time, he said to the Jewish elders, who themselves were highly confused and didn't even like Jesus, one time, this enemy Roman centurion soldier, one time said to the elders of the Jewish church, hey, maybe you should fetch Jesus because my slave is sick and about to die. I'm a Roman centurion. I like to get everything I want. So why don't you send him around and maybe he can do his magic. Jesus helped him. Well, kind of. He didn't even step foot on his property. From a distance, he just... He's fine. He'd be fine. Jesus, a few days later, according to the, uh, Luke chapter 7, a few days later, he goes 20 mi approximately 20 miles out of his way, one way. 20 miles out of his way. Just so as he's walking, he happens to be, because God is great at these things, he just happens to be walking by a funeral procession. And the woman's only person that could help her was the son. She was a widow, and the only person alive that could help her was her son, and he died. And Jesus just happened to be walking by. So he does a very inappropriate thing in their culture. Very wrong in many levels. He touches the dead body. Brings him back to life. He's dead. Dead people, according to the Bible, they're dead. Everything stops. It shuts off. He didn't even ask. He didn't even pray to get help. But God does it. God helps him anyway. The disciples, in case the word hasn't reached John, his own disciples come running back to prison. So uh, we got some good news and we got some bad news. The good news is, man, things are happening out here. I mean, enemies are being helped. People like Mary Magdalene, the people who are unforgivable are being forgiven. The people who can't even ask for help are getting helped. The, the, the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. Man, this guy, Jesus, your cousin, he, mercy, the stuff that's happening. The bad news is he, he, he's walking the other way from prison. And there ain't no sign of him coming here. A book called Desire of Ages, page 216, says it all seemed like a mystery beyond John's understanding. There were hours when the whispering of demons... See, Satan knows more facts than we do. Even Satan doesn't have, does not have them all, but he has more than we do. Satan and his demons were well aware of the fact that Jesus hadn't done a prison ministry visit. They didn't miss the opportunity. So they, they, they came around for a visit. And they whispered torturing things to discourage John the Baptist. And the shadow of terrible fear crept over John. He thought to himself, if I've been true to my calling, why doesn't God set me free? End quote. 
Why don't I get what I want? John's disciples were confused. John's disciples didn't think, at least some of them, scriptures are clear that some did, but some of John's disciples didn't think Jesus was the Messiah. Some of them were troubled that he wasn't helping John. And if you read the context in this gospel and others, it's very clear that they were highly offended because they weren't fasting, they didn't wash their hands, he touched dead people, he did all kinds of stuff that he shouldn't have done according to their opinion. So they were offended. And John the Baptist, he thought that Jesus was the Messiah. But man, was this a time of trouble for him. His first cousin, God himself, done a miracle to make him be born, to, to get him to do the things he did in his life, and then to leave him in jail and not to help him the way that he wanted to be helped. Knowing that it was God, my personal opinion is that might even made it more challenging because he knew, he knew he didn't even have to come in jail like, the, like he did with the Roman. He could have just set it from a distance and he could have been set free. John knew this, which could have made it even more challenging to be patient because he knew his God could do it. But he wasn't. I don't know all the things that went through his mind because the Bible doesn't record it. Did he have moments of little frustration where he thought, man, I, I, I'm getting better results than those stumbling all 12 disciples put together. I wouldn't argue about who's the greatest. It's clearly you. I have faith. I have courage. Why am I in here? John the Baptist didn't understand his church-going disciples didn't understand. Luke 7, 19-28. Summoning two of his disciples, John the Baptist sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they asked, John the Baptist sent us to you. We're supposed to ask you, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? At the very time... Jesus cured many people of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. <coughs> he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you've seen and what you've heard, that the blind receive sight and the lame walk and leopards are cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised to life and the poor have the gospel reached or preached to them. And blessed, blessed is the one who does not take offense at me. When the messengers of John had left, then after they left, which also, ah, it's frustrating to me. This could have been encouraging for them to hear. <laughs> but after they left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Did you go out, what did you go out there to see? A man dressed in soft and luxurious clothes? Those who sp splendidly clothe themselves and live in luxury were found in royal palaces. But, I, but, what do you, uh, but what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I say to you, a prophet, one who is greater than, uh, one who is more than a prophet. This is the one whom it is written of in the Old Testament. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. 
And I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus said these words six months after John was put in jail. Half a year he'd been sitting in jail. The disciples come to Jesus. Jesus helps more people, but still not John. He says, why don't you go back and tell John all the amazing stuff I'm doing for everybody else. And some of them aren't even asking. I know that you are and John is, but some of them aren't when I'm helping them. And go share that with John. John wanted something better. John expected something better. John spent hours praying for something better. As a human being, he deserved something better. But it wasn't happening. Since Jesus knows that as human beings we're limited, as, as the Scriptures say, we are just made of the dust and of the dirt. He knows that we make our decisions based on our five senses, so he tried to appeal to something else. He tried to appeal to John's faith, which is why in verse 23 he said for the, his disciples and for John, blessed is the one who does not take offense at me. Why would he say that? Because things were not going to go the way John anticipated. In fact, in this case for John, they were actually going to get much worse. He was basically saying, hey, life's a little complicated. You don't have all the facts. Please trust me. Trust me. hard for people to trust. After another six months, after an additional six months passed, King Herod had one of those, uh, what, what, what I call those things, an, an American party, the type that, you know, uh, American alcohol industry, well, just the beer industry alone, they spend $2 billion a year trying to encourage people to live the high life. We, we clearly can't attain to that unless we're drunk. And so uh, Herod had one of those exciting parties. And at that exciting party, he decided to cut off the head of John. Put it on the platter so everybody could see his power and his authority and what he wanted to do while Jesus was somewhere else. And Jesus, in this context, he's saying, well, he's pretty great, but the least in the kingdom will be more blessed than him because other people would get to see with their five senses and help their faith. They would get to see Jesus die and resurrect. If it didn't offend them, it would help them. Whereas John the Baptist would be dying two and a half years before Jesus died and resurrected. My personal opinion is Luke, in, in 
Hebrews chapter 11, near the end of the chapter, it's a, it's a reference to uh, John the Baptist, that he was faithful to the end, that his faith did hold on. But it wasn't because of his five senses. He chose to reach beyond his five senses, and he chose by faith to trust God and not be offended by God, even though it wasn't going the way he wanted. And as a human being, he, I'm sure, could have thought, why me? Just like little girls who get sexually offended can say the same thing. People with dark skin sometimes get treated terrible, and they can say, why me? And everybody in humanity can have many days. Every human being ever created can have many days and many occasions why we can all say, why me? Why me? How's your faith today? If you get treated bad or you get abused in a number of different ways that are possible on this earth, are you offended by how God responds? It's easy to do. Because God doesn't always do things the way we want. Knowing this, Jesus said very clearly in Luke 7, 23, Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. near the end of World War II, some of the Jewish prisoners had a little trial. Some of the Jewish prisoners had this little trial, and they were locked up in one of the concentration camps in Germany. And uh, they, they had a trial, but God wasn't the judge. They were judging God. They knew God was real. They knew God was all-powerful. But they also knew that millions and millions of their friends and family were being stabbed, shot, killed, poisoned, tortured. And they knew that wasn't right. And they thought, well, we've had enough. We should have a trial. And they put God on trial. Because their five senses just couldn't make sense of it. I can't imagine what that would have been like in their time and age. Their opinion of themselves is that they were the remnant. That's what they thought of themselves. I know people who think that of themselves. They thought they were the remnant. They thought they paid tithe. They thought they went to church on Saturday because that's what the Bible teaches. They thought they were obeying God and keeping the Ten Commandments. So if I do this, the response should be this. But they were getting a different response. 
They hoped for better. They expected better. They prayed for better. As human beings, they deserved better. But they were being tortured and extinguished. To make it worse, it, it, the slide didn't seem to turn out very well on the, on the screen. Hopefully you can see it, but this is a real picture of the belt buckle that the Nazi German soldiers wore. If you read, if you can read German, it says, Gott mit uns, which basically means God with us. Not you. God with us. God is with us. Can you imagine how confusing and offensive that would be to people who thought they were the remnant? These people were trying to take over the world and take over all the Jews. And they had the audacity to be telling the world, in case you didn't realize, they thought this was a spiritual war. And they thought God was with us, not you. How confusing that would be for someone's faith that thought they were God's special people to get God's special favor. So they held a trial. I don't remember how long it take, if it, if, how long it took, if it was a couple of days or, or just all day. But they held trial and God was on, God, God was the one being judged. And they found him guilty. They said, well, God didn't do this, but because God is all-powerful, He's all-present, and He's all-knowing, He could have at least done something to stop it. And because God didn't jump in and stop it, we find Him guilty because we are personally offended. And because we're offended, God is guilty. And then they ended their trial. And the most strange thing happened. They decided, well, we should close in prayer. Because after all, some of them still did trust God. And he's God, so we should pray to him. Maybe we just don't understand everything that he does. Luke 7.23 says, Blessed is the one who... does not take offense at me. Isaiah's, Isaiah 55.8 says, uh, God in that context says, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Actually, they're quite a bit higher. God knows that we make choices based on our five senses and we do not. We certainly do not have all the facts. God is wanting to love everybody. And love gives everybody a choice. Because love isn't love without choice. That means a third of the fallen angels get a choice. 7.8 billion damaged, broken, abusive, sinful people get a choice. And when that many created beings 
want my way. That's a lot of damage. And if God stepped in every time somebody's going to do something wrong, guess who just lost their freedom of choice? And since God doesn't misuse his authority, he's in a real pickle because if he steps in to stop it, he just misuses authority because you wanted to do that. I thought you'd give everybody a choice. And if God doesn't step in and help it, guess what? We've got a whole earth full of people and sometimes even church people who are offended by God because he didn't do what I wanted him to do. And we forget that the world doesn't revolve around us and it's a little more complicated and we don't have all the facts. But we can get offended. Last time I checked, Catholic, Muslim, atheist, agnostic, Hindu, and Christian, nobody wants to give up their freedom of choice. How's your faith today? As you reflect on your life in the past or the people around you, do you get offended by how God chooses to respond? Jesus says, you'd be blessed if you're not offended by me. God's in charge. He always has been. He always will be. He does it right. He has the long view in mind. I don't understand that. A lot of what happens to me and to other people, I don't understand it. But in that context, Jesus is appealing to our faith. He says, you'll be blessed if you're not offended by me. You don't have all the facts. It's unfortunate. Just like our little kids don't have all the facts that the adults and parents do. And even full-grown Americans, educated, church-going people, we don't have all the facts. And we would do really well to not be offended by what God is doing or not doing. Because we don't have all the facts. That's why we need to live by faith. Because our five senses can't understand everything that happens in life. Having 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 million Jews exterminated is beyond our five senses treating people terrible for all the wild excuses we come up with doesn't make sense. That's why we have to live by faith. Especially if you've been hurt or abused. Your five senses can't make sense of that. Why me? It doesn't make sense. My hope and my prayer is that while we wait for Jesus, because we also, like those Jews in the Holocaust, like John the Baptist and like his disciples, we too hope for better. We too want better. We also pray for better. And because we're humans, we like to think we deserve better. But that 100%, that 100% guarantee happens in heaven 
and we're not there yet. So I hope and I pray that you continue to trust Jesus while we wait. And that whatever Jesus chooses to do or allow, that Jesus' leadership does not offend you. But instead, you choose to live by faith. In closing, according to the book of Matthew, chapter 24, 25, etc., it was Jesus' words that the worst time in earth's history will be the end of the earth. If people back then were offended, if people were offended during the Holocaust and slavery and civil war and all kinds of tragic things that have happened on this earth, imagine how many people were going to be hurt as we get every day closer to Jesus' second coming. It doesn't take that much of an imagination to think there'll be people who Satan will come around like John the Baptist and work overtime to get them to be offended. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would be just working on your mind today, tomorrow, and every day you're alive. That the Holy Spirit would just be burning in your mind to continue to trust Jesus. Be one of those people. Be one of the remnant, not in word, but in reality and action. Be one of the remnant who truly trusts Jesus and you're not offended regardless of what's happening in this world, that you wouldn't be offended by what God does or chooses not to do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, these words are, are quite easy to read. Some kindergartners are learning to read and they could have read these words. They were short. They were clear. Blessed is he or she. Blessed are the people who are not offended by me. They're easy to read. It's mentally, it's, it's possible to understand it. But when life gets challenging, we get hurt and we get abused. Oh, man, it's hard for our five senses to grasp that and actually apply it. And so we're asking today, God, by faith, that your Holy Spirit would be putting Jesus in our brain so that we'd be living by faith, so that we're not offended. And instead of being offended, we would live by faith and trust you and know that this world and our life and things are much, much more complex than we'll ever know while we're on this earth. Help us to trust you. We ask for that blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.